I think it's a mistake by those in marketing to regard new digital capabilities of TV as an opportunity to go into this kind of short form selling. The marketing world needs another additional short term performance marketing tool like it needs a hole in the head. Hello, I'm Omar Oaks, Editor-in-Chief of The Media Leader, and on The Media Leader podcast today is Peter Field. And you will have definitely heard of Peter Field if you work in advertising and marketing. He is one half of the dynamic duo Les Bennett and Peter Field, um, marketing and advertising professionals who have developed a framework for thinking about marketing effectiveness. And their ideas, as many of you will know, are based on the notion that marketing should be focused on long-term brand building rather than short-term activations. And Peter, glad that you're with us today. Um, you are going to be speaking at our upcoming Future of TV Advertising Global event. Um, and we'll get into what you're going to talk about then. But um, the couple of people listening who don't know who you are, um, how did you get into this? How did you become um, this effectiveness guru well, it's, of course, a long story. Um, about 30 years ago, he said, uh, worryingly showing his age, um, I did the foundation work on developing an effectiveness database. And it's the data um, that is submitted alongside entries into a UK effectiveness competition run by the IPA. So I did a round of interviews with the great and the good, the gurus of the day, um, Simon Broadbent's um, uh, of of, of uh, you know, of the day um, and collected the kind of wisdom about what kind of data we needed to collect and what hypothesis we need to, to develop. So that went or that started um, about 30 years ago, really. We started pulling together that data. Um, Les Binet, meanwhile, did fantastic work with the IPA in making it a compulsory um, part of entering awards. So we, we absolutely collect this data across all case study entrants now. So we have built up over the years this vast data. There's about 1,400 cases in there now, going back in total 40 more than 40 years now, where we have pretty good data across all the inputs to the campaign, strategic media, creative choices that they made, but vitally uh, the outputs of the campaign, the impact on the brand, the impact on the business. Um, so we've got an enormous amount of data across different sectors, for profit, not for profit. We've got new brands, old brands. We've got big brands, small brands. We've got a, a pretty rich resource now that we can mine for that. And Les Binesh and I have been working together with that data since uh, about 2006 now so we've got a good solid working relationship we've actually known one another for many more years than that um, but we got got together working on this um, as I say about 2006 um, we've got five publications now together. Um, everything from Marketing the Year of Accountability was our first. The one that's best known, I guess, is the long and the short of it. Um, and the most recent one is about effectiveness in B2B, published through LinkedIn. So we've 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 tried to build out the learning um, and focus on uh, kind of the developing knowledge. But um, one theme that has been remarkably consistent through all that work, of course, has been the effectiveness of TV. Um, and we've written about that many times um, and throughout 
all of those years, um, we've been uh, examining the attacks, the criticisms that have been levelled at TV. I mean, one of the things about being on top, as TV has been for so many years now in effectiveness terms, is everybody tries to take a pot shot at you. Um, <laughs> and we've tried to give a kind of objective, uh, empirically based view of that. And of course, when you do that, you find that TV remains incredibly effective, still is now, despite all that all the challenges that it faces. So that's very much um, what I'm going to be speaking about at um, FTV. Yes, yeah, so um, you you are going to be using effectiveness evidence from the UK and Australia to explain why TV remains such a powerful medium, as you say, despite the challenges that it faces. And we'll get into the challenges in a bit. Um, so what are you going to do? You're going to look at the growing impact of BVOD, Broadcaster Video On Demand, on um, what's happening in the market and drawn attention research. Everyone has been very excited for quite a while now about um, measuring attention in media. Um, Drawing on that research to argue that advertisers should not walk away from the established and new capabilities of TV. Uh, You've actually called your talk why TV is so damn effective. Um, Why such aggressive language and what's the heart of your argument? You know, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, the three certainties in marketing, you know, kind of death taxes and people taking pot shots at TV. I mean, that's that's <laughs> been going on all the time I've been working with this. So I've kind of been around the, the houses so many times on this. Um, I suppose it just starts to look a little bit like a relentless kind of attempt to take TV down. The fact of the matter is, as I will show at the conference, that TV plays if anything, a growing, a strengthening role in effectiveness. Um, If you look at recent trends in the IPA data, we're seeing TV's typical uh, usage in my case studies actually beginning to rise again. So it's not falling away um, in any way. Um, Of course, part of that is is smart advertisers, as these case studies tend to be. I mean, these are effectiveness case studies. These are not amateur marketers and amateur agencies here. We've got the best of the best. So, of course, they're taking advantage of new capabilities of TV. We see the use of of on-demand formats rising, as you would expect, amongst that. So, uh, and the you know the data also suggests that that's a positive development. So, we all know that it is getting more and more difficult to achieve uh, full reach using TV. That one has to be ever more sophisticated um, and ever more clever to do that. But it can still be done, um, and there are real benefits in sticking with TV, um, as we see from looking at these effectiveness case studies uh, they're not walking away from it that's the simple finding the intuition is that young people in particular just ain't watching tv and <laughs> marketers many of them have children themselves they see what happens in their own households um, and it's it'll be true if they work with agencies as well um, so if the data is telling you one thing but the intuition is saying another how do you bridge that gap well because these things are always wildly exaggerated we know that young people watch less TV than than their parents, but that's always been the case. Yes, that is becoming more and more of a challenge as there are more and more alternative uh, ways they can spend their time. But I think we have to be slightly wary of the media bubble, the media and marketing bubble. Um, People 
you know, people in Af from affluent backgrounds probably don't see the truth of what's really going on there. So we do know that young people do still watch TV. They just don't watch as much of it as, as they used to, that's for sure. Um, and they don't watch as much of it as their parents, but they still watch um, quite significant slugs of it. But that's one of the things I wanted to use the attention data for, because what the attention data seeks us is that the kind of data that we've been using for the last however many decades decades to assess the uh, kind of impact of TV advertising is no longer really fit for purpose because many of the challenges to TV are coming from online video, which of course we know young people spend a lot of time with. Um, but the attention data teaches us is that the level of attention we can expect to enjoy with advertising on those kind of platforms is very considerably lower than we might expect on TV. So although it's true that younger people are ever leaning more and more into online video, the benefits that TV brings, even though they're not seeing as much of it, tend to a large degree to out, outweigh those. So what I'm going to do um, at the conference is I will show the impact of actually using attention weighting on some of the exposure to advertising data that we have. And when you do that, you see that any sensible marketer would be crazy to walk away from TV even with younger viewers, even with those difficult kind of 16 to 35s, even amongst those, there is no sane case for walking away from TV. It still accounts for the large majority of attentive uh, exposure to um, to video advertising. And of course, when you look at uh, all adults, you look at all, all um, the entire universe, you'd be absolutely insane to walk away from TV because it accounts for a massive slug of attentive video exposure, advertising video, video advertising exposure. So that's the important thing. We don't, you know, it's not good enough just to look at the reach of these media. It's not just to look good enough to look at the uh, number of minutes of advertising exposure that um, different media give you uh, for different audiences, you also have to factor in the attention that that audience is paying. And when you do all of that, you see a really, really strong picture still for TV. So I'm, I'm just going to go through all of that data, pulling in data from, from Lumen, from Amplified Intelligence, from wherever I can find it, just to make of those kinds of points. Because what we see in the effectiveness, effectiveness data, and we see this in a lovely study that um, the Australian FEs did, is that when you factor in the attention data to the kind of media plans that various different case studies uh, deployed, you see how it aligns so much more closely to effectiveness. If you just look at the raw kind of budget levels and the raw kinds of impacts that the advertising itself had, that doesn't explain effectiveness in the way that it's measured in the, in the Australian EFIS, which is the same way as we measure it in the UK. It's only when you factor in the uh, attention data that it really all starts to come into alignment. So we know it's um, it's playing a big factor and we know that high attention media, of which TV is a good example, it's not the only high attention video media, of course, but it happens to be um, one of the best, if not the best. It's only when you factor in that strength that you really can explain effectiveness. And this is the point I'm going to make time and time again. You look at effectiveness fundamentals and you never walk away from TV. 
at least assuming you've got a budget that's big enough to to pay for it. It's only really very small case, very small budget case studies that don't use it in the IPA data, at least. Um, it's people with really very small budgets. So, you know, the obvious finding from all of this is that if you've got a budget that can afford TV, damn well use it to buy TV. Um, uh, there's no doubt about that. I put out a piece a few months ago where um, I was suggesting that TV doesn't have a, um, or broadcast TV doesn't have a problem with social media short form platforms as a competitor so much. I reckon it's got a longer term problem with um, short form platforms as a, a something more dynamic, something more fundamental happening where in the longer run, we younger generations, newer generations of media consumers just become so used to really short form content pushed at them by algorithms that that almost becomes the norm in media consumption and that to your point about tv effectiveness isn't doesn't it hinge on that understanding that we've had for many decades now of understanding tv content um, different genres of tv content the whole mechanics of how the ad breaks work um, understanding that value exchange, you get some free telly in exchange for some ads. Uh, Netflix and others might be struggling with that right now. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I'm not going to necessarily ask you for a view on whether TV has a longer term problem with TikTok and short form platforms in particular. But if you were to test that, if I kind of had loads of money and commissioned you and Les to test that, how would you go about it? Um, would, you, would you have any um, presumptions about how that the results might go? Well, um, I mean, what we do know, and I think TikTok's interesting, is it does, I mean, people seem reluctant to fully publish their results, but I think what TikTok is showing us is that really engaging content on those kind of short formats can be very, very seductive to people. But we also know that um, young people don't exclusively watch that. You know, they, they also watch films. They also, you know, they also binge on, on series and so on and so forth. So I don't buy the fact that just because uh, TikTok seems to be reinventing uh, online video in many ways and coming up very fast on the outside, that that means that that is all and only what young people will, will in future want to watch. Um, I think it's just an important part of, of part of their lives and that's the way it will go. I don't see that fundamentally changing. Um, people like, you know, engaging immersive kind of media. Sorry, I used the word immersive, which I hate. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that is what, what we're talking about. And the fact is, is that you can't deeply get someone engaged in any kind of piece of entertainment in 15 or 30 seconds. You can do it. it, it in a sense, it's chewing gum. It's something we we like from time to time. It's something that, that we, we, we use in part of our day and enjoy. But there are other things that we also um, get stimulus from. I mean, there's an enormous amount of time spent by an awful lot of people, particularly young people, on, on, on gaming these days. Now, that is not short form. This is These are big, serious time commitments. So, you know, there's plenty of evidence that the, the market isn't going short attention spans. And I don't buy that at all, actually. I just think it is something that um, uh, gives us uh, some quick uplifts and quick and easy little smiles. Um, and, and we like a bit of that in our day. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned something um, very interesting just now um, about, um, we touched on maybe perhaps a bit of inherent bias in 
marketing um, on maybe people living in wealthier households where they just aren't <laughs> exposed to advertising as much. And, you know, um, you could uncharitably describe advertising as a tax on poorer people. I mean, is, is that, does, that, does that bear through in your effectiveness research as well? Well, I wouldn't describe it as a tax on poorer people. But I mean, if you're, if you're basing your judgments on families where every room has a screen and every member of that family has multiple, you know, multiple devices for accessing content uh, and they can all do it independently then that is not I would argue typical of everyone in this nation we have an awful lot of people who who are extremely hard up and getting more so Um, so I think it's very dangerous to make judgments about um, how young people spend their time based on some very affluent households in London and the South East and when you get out and talk to people and certainly whenever I speak in Manchester a lot of marketing and media people in Manchester rail against the London bubble you know and, and but Manchester is a pretty damn wealthy city with a lot of affluent people and if they see London as being in its own kind of little fantasy vortex then you can bet your bottom dollar that that's even more the case elsewhere so I just caution against that I mean again to come back to this issue of it being a tax on poor people I mean it's just a great way of funding content you know um it's it's the way social media's gone i mean when you have to remember when zuckerberg first launched facebook you know he announced the death of advertising he said you know this is going to be the new way that um uh, brands uh, get known and and you know going to be shared amongst by people amongst people well he pretty soon shifted to the advertiser funded model as many many other businesses have and i don't think that there is anything wrong with that i think as you pointed out a minute ago Emma, that i think there is a value exchange that people understand we get a lot of great entertainment and in return for which we see some ads and so long as those ads uh, and this, of course, is a big and important point. So long as those ads are not too uh, taxing on us, that they are not too dull and they are not too uh, rapacious of our data, I would say as well, then I think we'll roll with that. And that's always been the case. There is a serious issue about what I think, you know, 15, 20 years now of data-led performance marketing thinking has done to the quality of advertising. So I think that is the bigger risk here, that if we fill not just TV, uh, not just TV breaks, but but any video advertising medium with really dull and unentertaining advertising, then of course people are going to question the value exchange. Um, we need to get back to producing the kind of advertising that people not just don't mind seeing, but actually enjoy watching. And that I think is a terribly, terribly important thing. So, you know, I certainly make that as a, a warning or a message to TV uh, companies around the world is that be careful what kind of advertising models you want to embrace on your platform. There's been a lot of excitement recently, um, you know, with uh, with addressable TV and, and other you know, kind of data-led capabilities. The ability to essentially take on performance marketing using TV, to take on this idea of very tightly targeted data-led, probably short-form ads trying to sell now. Be very careful what you wish for. I don't think you're likely to ever do that better than online platforms. And the cost of doing it is you're going to end up with a tsunami of crappy advertising, you know, real short form in your face, buy now advertising. And that will do nothing 
for the um, seductive nature of the TV medium. So I think we should go the other way. I think we should celebrate the brand, the long-term demand growth driving capability of TV, which it is superb at because it provides the kind of attentive environment which you can really build brands. Um, and, and that works very well with a model of advertising that says we will entertain and uh, seduce consumers not hector them, not beat them around the head until they buy. Um, very, very important, I think, to the health of, of the medium and the advertising messages as well. Well, this this you will be speaking at a conference which is very much about the future of TV advertising. But what we've seen in the present of TV advertising in this year is uh, the, the, the quite rapid rise of um, fast free ad-supported television and the development, the ongoing development of different connected TV platforms. And so generally what we've seen is an increase of digital TV ad inventory. Um, but that inventory is being filled by specifically what you've just said um, in terms of hectoring people, addressable stuff. Um, whenever you, you know, we've got Sky Media's upfronts coming up soon. We've got ITV's Palooza um, happening this week as we're recording. Um, last week, um, they were talking about their newish b-board platform itvx and talking about um more addressable stuff happening with that environment as well more fast um content as well more ad inventory um so it looks like everything that we're going to be talking about this conference and what the broadcasters are saying is actually going against what you've just said it doesn't have to i mean itvx um which i'm a great fan of I'm, I'm, i use it and watch it like it a lot um it doesn't have to deliver those kind of ads it's just i think it's a mistake by those in marketing to regard um, new digital capabilities of TV as an opportunity to go short and go into this kind of short form selling. I, you know, the marketing world needs another additional short-term performance marketing tool like it needs a hole in the head. We've got plenty of those. What the marketing world needs desperately are media that can deliver long-term growth capability and by which I mean platforms that can support the development of mental availability, the strength of brands. That's what we really need. Um, and that's how we should be using these digital platforms, using their targeting capability, yes, to uh, ensure we get most efficient reach. We need to reach everyone. We need to reach as broadly as we can. And we need to do that as efficiently and as effectively as we possibly can. So I think I would be using, uh, you know, the kind of new data techniques and targeting abilities that we have in new TV platforms to do that, not to deliver short targeting messages, not to try and um, guess, you know, what my next purchase is going to be and serve, um, uh, you know, an activation message. I would focus on the brand capabilities because that is tv's great strength still is and i think always will be because of the nature of the medium but you're right you're right if we get too excited by all of this i don't think it's going to um, help the future of tv you know i think i think we 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 need to focus on what it's really good at um, because no one yet has fully replaced that even even the tiktoks of this world i don't think have fully replaced that yet this episode of the Media Leader Podcast was edited by our production partner, Trisonic. For a full range of audio media buying and creative services, including podcast production, check out trisonic.co.uk. You mentioned the T word, trust is going to be an element of what you're going to speak about as well. Now, 
I um, I've been covering this sector for oh gosh eight nine years now I can't remember now um, and I I've only heard you really start talking about trust this year Commit, correct me if I'm wrong um, you you did some work with Newsworks which the media leader covered back in March um, where you said quote trust shouldn't be written off as some kind of wokery um, you called the issue of trust in brands a relatively novel development among consumers and you warned that brands should take the metric of trust seriously and not dismiss it as a political issue rather legitimate business concerned um so two questions about that number one how do you get the sense that um publishers are writing offers workery and number two why why has the issue of trust become more important as a as a metric for consumers right okay well really i've actually been talking about it for a couple of years now but it, it, it um it's, it's interesting how it arose in, on my particular radar i've been working for many years now for, for newsworks looking at the effectiveness of news media and particularly charting that as it's morphed from a print to increasingly a digital platform so it's been a very interesting time in news media and i've tracked the effectiveness uplifts that one gets from the use of news media in in uh, campaign media mixes over the years and about four or five years ago uh, suddenly the effectiveness of news media started to uh, rapidly and quite dramatically increase um, and That's at good first news. it's it's terrific news um, it applies I'm sure not just to uh, the world of newsworks but I think to any platform that puts out credible authentic news um, and of course that matters to TV and that's one of the reasons I'm going to be talking about it so and I, what I found was um, two years ago when I looked at the effectiveness data for, for newsworks I just couldn't explain what was going on I mean literally the effectiveness of those campaigns that used it had gone off the scale out of all proportion to anything I'd seen before and at first I had no explanation for it I worked my way through all of the enormous number of different metrics different factors different variables that can affect um, effectiveness in that day in the database and I came across just one thing that suddenly leapt out at me and that was trust and what we found was two things that the association of news media with trust suddenly leapt up and uh, but also that the trust effects the impact on the brands that use new media news media um, on particularly on the trust metric had suddenly leapt forward um, and you know explaining this fully is uh, I mean we difficult to do precisely but I put it down to a realization you know when we see Trump and Brexit there was a realization increasingly around about five or six years ago that actually the kinds of information we were being served on digital platforms um, was heavily being manipulated should we put it in the politest way that um, you know we couldn't trust everything we see on heard on a, on, on a lot of digital platforms particularly social platforms and I think this has gradually led people to place greater value on those media that they perceive to have reliable news outputs. So the news media, obviously, the traditional news titles, even when served on digital platforms, enjoy a huge uh, trust, trust benefit. People believe it. TV, we know is that. Um, and so 
that was the only way I could explain the observation that I was seeing with news media. But it's also interesting if you look at um, surveys, and I will quote from uh, Thinkbox's survey, if you look at how people say they trust different media, you see that legacy media by and large are well trusted, but particularly social, but a lot of uh, online video media are absolutely the reverse. Um, a lot of people, of course, will criticise those kind of surveys. So I've looked at in-market effects here. And what I've looked at is those case studies that had big trust effects and contrasted those with case studies that didn't have um, impacts on trust. And when you look at their media plans, what you see is that they lean, those that did enjoy big trust uplifts, lean much more heavily into not just the legacy media, but also things like um, search. Search can be a good way of building trust. But things like TV, things like um, news media, press and so on, radio to some degree, are all pro trust. Those case studies that enjoy big trust effects made greater use of those media than those that didn't. And if you look at the reverse, you look at those case studies, uh, the, the media plans of those case studies that didn't enjoy big trust effects, you see that they leaned in very heavily, particularly to social media. So there's, it's not proof positive, but there's a smoking gun there that quite clearly suggests that um, some media are good at building trust and some are not. And the importance of all of this is that what we've seen in the data, and one of the great strengths of the IPA data is, as I said earlier, it's such long run data. It literally goes back 40 years, but certainly we can, with great reliable data, trace it back to the beginning of the digital era. What we've seen is that trust as a brand metric used to be the least important of, of, of all of them uh, um, that we could look at, but it's now number two. Uh, it's now the second most important metric in, the, in terms of its relationship with the profit impacts of campaigns. So it used to be a pretty weak brand metric. It didn't really correlate with business success to any great degree. Now it strong, very strongly correlates with, with business success. And it particularly correlates with the number one brand metric, which is to do with perceived product quality. And that mm. probably will always be number one. But what this data is teaching us is that an increasing and growing part of consumers' perceptions of quality in brands are dependent upon the extent to which they trust those brands and the kind of messages and output they make. And, you know, this makes great sense to me, at least, in a world of fake news, in a world where so much of the um, so-called information that we, we that we receive as consumers is in some way faked or distorted or, or misrepresented. Um, so it's a really important metric. It happens to be a great strength, um, not just of news media, but of TV as well. Um, and it explains, again, why TV is so strongly related to effectiveness, because one of the benefits of trust and quality is they have impacts on pricing power. And that's one point that I will make in this presentation. So much of the work that's done on effectiveness is solely focused really on impacts on sales, on, on particularly on, on volume sales. And of course, that's very important. I'm not, I'm not for any for a moment rubbishing that but an even more important metric um, than the impact we have on volume is the impact we have on pricing power and 
trusted brands, quality brands, the two go hand in hand, as I've already argued, have a particularly powerful impact on pricing impacts. And so, you know, when we look at what um, the IPA data suggests, and we really need to validate this, I think, with, with bigger data sets um, and more robust analysis than I'm able to do with the IPA data. But what the IPA data suggests is that if you're after pricing power, you need to up your investment in TV over and above what you would if you were just looking at, say, uh, volume growth, because it has a particular strength on that. It's, you know, in part, it's the fame effect, but increasingly it's the trust effect. Um, and, you know, that means that if we're trying to drive profitability, we should dial up TV over and above what we might might do if we were just looking for volume effects. So again, I think this is an important area of effectiveness evaluation that tends to get overlooked um, and tends to take us in the direction of TV again. So, you know, I, I'm going to just be trying to correct, as I see it, some of the more uh, simplistic observations that are made about TV, because actually when you correct TV for its uh, attentive impact, for its emotional clout, and for its impact on trust, you you start to really see the true importance of TV as a medium. And those are the three themes that I'm going to focus on in my um, in my piece at the conference. Yeah, um, I think that trust piece is fascinating. And, it's, and it is relevant to what you were saying um, in the previous segment about broadcasters needing to be careful about going down the addressable um, performance routes, or rather marketing's doing that with TV connected tv inventory because what we've seen with online publishing over the last 15 20 years is frankly a lot of um, publisher websites haven't um engendered a huge amount of trust let's say with um first it was the pop-ups and the gdpr boxes and the the made for advertising clickbait you see everywhere and videos just seem to play without you requesting it and it's a it's a poor user experience which i think Absolutely. um has 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 led to a, a diminution of trust as well and i actually brought this up with dominic carter who's the publisher of the sun at our recent future of media event in november google it omar oaks dominic carter and um you know he 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 was quite candid about the fact that publishers have really in hindsight made a mistake by going for that guaranteed revenue when really long term not building that trusted online window to your news brands mm. which i think you mentioned trump and brexit that's that's obviously been a huge factor the last few years but i think that's been one of the um maybe undertold stories of um publishing and as tv develops not just the kinds of ads that go on there but actually the way that these connected tv platforms are being built you could really damage a lot of trust just in the way you build these things as well and i wonder um if that will be something that you're you're looking at increasingly going forward uh, well, certainly it's something we need to, and I, I entirely agree with you, and I applaud what you've just said, Omar. I think it's terribly, terribly important, and and you know, and I get it. The commercial pressures facing a lot of TV companies have been quite acute, and the temptation to just keep the quarterly results rolling is often very, very irresistible. But you know. If you want a future for this medium, and I think it potentially has a hugely bright medium because of everything that's going on in, in technologically in TV, you've you've got to focus on the long term, and you've got to focus on ensuring that the strengths that made TV what it is today 
continue to endure in the future that we do trust it that we do find it in entertaining that you know that, that we enjoy watching it and we don't feel beaten about the head by over long over dull ad breaks all the time um, uh, all of these factors we have to absolutely preserve because otherwise we'll just um, we'll be no better than the alternative online experiences that are out there um, so you know, I you know Amen to what you just said. I mean, I think it's really important. And I think it's important that we all keep an eye on this going forward, um, that we ensure that TV retains those kinds of strengths. So I'll certainly be looking out for it. Um, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for the wisdom of the uh, of the industry. Yes, we, we, we should all do that, definitely. Um, and in terms of wisdom, um, before I let you go, you've been doing this for a while and with every um, luminary that comes onto this podcast, um, I'm really keen to learn from you. Biggest mistakes, things you've wished you've done in hindsight, um, advice for um, future generations of people coming into media, marketing, advertising. What's the biggest lesson do you think you've learned from a career perspective? Oh, blimey. There have been so many. Um, it's it's a mistake I've made and tried to correct. I think we have two competing forces in the world of marketing and, ab and advertising. One is the vital importance of being evidence-based and to a large degree science-based. And I think it's very important. And, and, you know, Les and I have certainly been guilty of laying heavily into the issue of science and trying to provide kind of rule books for how to achieve effectiveness. But I think what I've increasingly come to realize is that we can overblow all of this. There was a need to do it because I think 20, 30 years ago, a lot of people were making a lot of kind of rookie mistakes in marketing and advertising. But we've had a, a, a lot now of good evidence-based inputs, and that continues. We look at the work that Amplified Intelligence and Lumen are doing, I think, in the area of attention. I think this is really good new science that's coming in and helping guide us. But we do also have to bear in mind that there is the more loosely defined magic side to all of this, the sheer creative, inspiring side of marketing and advertising, brilliant innovations, brilliant marketing, brilliant advertising. And you don't get that from rule books by definition. You know, rule books anyone can follow. And when the more we follow the rule books, the less competitive advantage we gain from them, the more we have to lean into trying to be innovative and creative. Um, and so, you know, I'm very interested in trying to address the tsunami of dull advertising that has resulted, I think, from an obsession with following rules. You know, effectiveness has, to a large degree, I think, become too much of a tick box exercise. And I feel, yes, I've perhaps been guilty in my part in encouraging that. I have over the years observed the huge power of creativity. Um, and I think we need to get back to doing that. Because being average for most brands in most categories is a pretty damn expensive place to to be and brands really need to be doing something that is to some degree magical that is creative and inspiring um, and we know that when you do that the investments you make in advertising work a whole lot harder um, and karen nelson field in her work absolutely acknowledges this she says look the first and most important thing is we need to make sure that our advertising is put on the right platforms by which she means high attention platforms if we're trying to build brands for long-term demand growth she's quite clear about that but once we've done that 
She also acknowledges that the way we get the most out of those investments is through highly emotional, um, very powerful, creative work. And that just doesn't come from rule books. It comes from inspired thinking and inspired creativity. And that's, I think, where increasingly the attention needs to turn. So uh, I would you know, absolutely focus people on doing that. Great marketers have always understood both sides of that equation and balance both sides. And we need, you know, I think we need we need more balance in the way we're thinking at the moment. Mm. And we try to ask everyone now about passion. What makes you passionate about media? Well, I, you know, I the, I the moment I picked up on the whole uh, attention economy debate, first started reading Karen's work. And I, I've known Karen now for the best part of 10 years, from even before she started uh, working on uh, amplified intelligence. So the moment I came across it, I immediately leapt at it because what I see it as, and, you know, and I, I am quite passionate about the whole attention debate, is it puts right what has been a gross piece of misunderstanding and perhaps misleading set of thought models that we've been we've been working with really for the last 20 years or so. The idea that all impacts of all digital media are the same, all video media are the same, that the, the value of an exposure to an ad on platform A is exactly the same as the value of an exposure to the same ad on platform B. Um, and we've kind of intuitively known that wasn't the case because you couldn't explain it otherwise. You couldn't explain effectiveness patterns otherwise. Why do we not have effectiveness databases chock full of social media-led case studies? They just there are a few of them, but they're not there in the numbers that they would be if it had been true, this idea that exposures were all equal. And it is only through the work of uh, Amplified Intelligence, Lumen and, and the others in this world that we've really now begun to understand the extent of the misleading and misunderstanding kind of metrics that we've been using to, to make investments. So I think it's a great and really important time in uh, the understanding of um, the way media works and the, particularly through attention. So I think it's, you know, it, gets, it makes me excited. It's made me excited again um, in a way that I was beginning to lose um, before it. I think it's a great time. I think we're going to get some, some lovely new discoveries and some a reinvention of the way investments are made with online particularly as we now can put some much more sensible value to different investments. And I think it's going to have a hugely positive impact on the quality of those platforms. I think it already is. So I think it'll put right some of the problems that we've been seeing um, over the last 10 or 15 years with declining levels of effectiveness typically. Um, so yeah, I, I get passionate about a media really because of what we're now learning about attention. So I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Fascinating, fascinating. And um, I went through this whole podcast and didn't even ask you about Christmas ads. So um, oh. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a relief or not. <laughs> Peter Field, um, thank you so much for coming on the Media Leader podcast. Really appreciate it. And I'm really going to look forward to um, hearing you at Future of TV Advertising Global, which is on the 5th of 5th and 6th of December at King's Place in London and I'm not saying this listeners because I want you all to go out and buy a ticket because I'm sorry it's sold out um, it's sold out ages ago it's that kind of conference it sells out really quickly but you know if you're interested for 2024 um, you definitely want to express an interest now and um, we'll put some details on the show notes um, but Peter thank you so much thanks for inviting me Omar 
Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.